0: Uh, Paul and Laura Chinchin have been with African Bible College uh, practically uh, most of his life and her adult life. And Paul was last with us uh, in 2006, so he's no stranger to our congregation. He was a speaker at our missions conference then. His twin brother Palmer preached here about a year ago, and so he's not to be confused with him. But we welcome Paul back and look forward to hearing about God's work there at African Bible College. Good morning. And let me just say how nice it is to be back here. As Reverend Miller said, our Mission African Bible College has had a long relationship with First Presbyterian Church for many, many years. I think Don Blackburn said since 1972, when I would have been about eight years old, would have been in my first trip here to Macon. So we appreciate that relationship that our mission has had, but also the relationship that my family has had with so many people here at the church. We've stayed a number of times with Bill and Nancy Barnes, and then they sent their daughter Katie to work with us in Malawi, and Dorothy Holiday is also from this church that came and taught at our ABC Christian Academy. We've stayed with the Blackburns a number of times, and they've been over when we were having the dedication for our radio station And then the Duggins, we've stayed with them as well. And they've also visited us in Malawi and helped with projects with our mission hospital. So we appreciate that relationship. And let me just say, if you don't know where my wife is, so you can greet her after the service. Laura, can you just raise your hand? You don't have to stand up. Laura's sitting here. We just flew in yesterday with our oldest daughter. We have five kids, Ashley. Can you raise your hand? She's a junior at Covenant College. So we have our oldest and our youngest, Vandel flew with us in from Malawi. You don't have to raise your hand if you don't want to, Vandell. So, But it's good to be back here with you. And I do want to say thank you to the Logos class and Kevin Bridges and Mike Hall and Eric Ashley that organized the evening yesterday. We brought with us for the first time a music group from African Bible College, some of our students. They're called the Mongoli Band, and they had a great program last night. A number of young people from the different Sunday school classes were there. I think there were three different classes. And we passed out cards. And I asked Pastor Miller if it would be okay if I showed these to you. We're looking for teachers at the ABC Christian Academy where Katie Barnes and Dorothy Holiday have taught. So if you know anyone that's interested in working or teaching overseas, if you can't go yourselves, it's okay. God, here I am. Please send my friend Bob. That's fine. And we also need professors at our Christian college. We need a professor of mass communication and a professor for Christian education, if you know anyone or if you're in those fields as well. And it is nice to be back. It's a long trip. We just got in yesterday from where we are in Malawi. You fly down to Johannesburg, and then it's 17, 18 hours across the Atlantic Ocean to Washington. We got in around noon. Our daughter picked us up in her Volkswagen Beetle and then drove us down to the Blackburns home yesterday afternoon. But it it is a long two-day trip coming. It's three days going the other way when you're traveling against the sun. In fact, when I was here, this was about a year ago, I was leaving from our stateside offices on the campus of Reformed Theological Seminary in Jackson. And so I'm at the Jackson Airport, and I have about 10 or 12 pieces of luggage. And this big porter, this African-American guy, is helping me load my bags. And he said, Mr. Chinchin, where are you going with all of this luggage? And I said, well, my wife and I were missionaries in Lilongwe." And he said, "Lilongwe? where is that? And I said, well, it's in Malawi. That's the capital city. It's just above South Africa. I said, we'll be on four flights from here to Atlanta, Atlanta to Washington, Washington across the Atlantic Ocean to Johannesburg that's all night and then spend the night in Joburg and then go up to Malawi and then he says well they sure did name that place correct he said it's a long ways to Lelongway <laughs> but I do appreciate uh, Reverend Miller and Mr. Blackburn inviting me to share with you and also to invite my twin brother who was just here a year ago And there is a little bit of confusion sometimes when we do show up to the same churches to preach. In fact, this morning when I first came in the door, Rebecca Lanning was there, and she was very excited. She said, oh, I'm so glad you've come back. She said, my son really enjoyed you preaching here last year. And I said, we, Don, and I had to stop her and say, no, no, Rebecca, that's Paul's twin brother, Palmer. This is Paul. And so she walked off, and Carl Shepard was standing there, and he kind of smiles. He goes, you don't really have a twin brother, do you? Like we're, we're, we're pulling her leg or something. <laughs> but I really do have an identical twin brother, and it's especially confusing when I show up at his church. It's a large church, and, and I would say most of the people don't, don't know that he has an identical twin brother. I was there in 2007. They were dedicating their new church facility He was expecting about 1,500 people that day. And so he and I got there early. He parked right in front of the church, and he ran into the office, and he left me a bunch of stuff to unload, and it was early in the morning. But as soon as I start taking the stuff out of the car, people start coming up to me. They say, Palmer, where do you want these flowers? And Palmer, where do you want the extra chairs? And so my first reaction was to tell them, uh, no look I'm, I'm Palmer's twin brother he's in the office they go right Palmer now where do you want the chairs so I figured you know there's a couple times in your life where you wish you could be in two places at the same time and I figured this was a good chance for me to help my twin brother out so I just stood out there out front the mayor's here where do you want him to set the third row up on the left and the photographer's here you can put him over on the right hand side and so I was able to help him out that day At the beginning, though, I did want to take a minute before we start just to say thank you to your church and to your people for everything that you have done, for the partnership that we've had with our mission, African Bible College, over the years. And I think in some ways we have an obligation to remind your people, but also your children and your grandchildren, of your participation in missions. It's biblical. Moses did this before they went into the Promised Land. He stopped all the people of Israel. He said... Let me remind you of everything that God has done. And if you go to Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 9, Moses says, Keep your soul diligent, lest you forget all the things that God has done. He said, Don't let these things depart from your heart. He says, Remind them to your children. Remind them to your grandchildren. So I wanted to take a moment just to say thank you. Your church has helped with so many projects, it's hard to pick which one is the most important, but I'm going to name the ABC Community Clinic first because it really has had a great impact there in the capital city. We just had the 10-year anniversary of the clinic last summer, and we figured that by July of this past year, 2009, that clinic had treated over 300,000 patients. But it's not just helping the people in the community, but it's helping our students there at African Bible College, our missionary staff, and even our family. Just two weeks ago on on Monday, tomorrow will be two weeks ago, I drove, we have three of our kids are still with us in Malawi, the three younger ones, and I put them on my quad, and I drove from our house down to the ABC Christian Academy. It's about a half a mile. Drove them to the side gate, dropped them off, and then that was 7.15 in the morning. Then I drove straight to our chapel service that we have with our college students. Starts at 7.30 in the morning. As soon as I sat down in chapel, though, one of my workers came running in the back door. They said, Mr. Chin Chin, please rush down to the clinic. Your son, Vandel is very sick. And I'm thinking, this guy's crazy. I just dropped him off 15 minutes ago. So I walked outside a chapel, called my wife on the cell phone. She answers the phone screaming, vandel has been bit by a snake. Please get down to the clinic. And it was literally like somebody kicked me in the stomach. Because I grew up in West Africa from the time I was six years old. In West Africa, we have... Deadly snakes. We have the green mamba, they call the two step mamba because you get bit, you get two steps before you drop. And then they they also have the gaboon viper, the, the longest fangs of any poisonous snake in the world is there in Liberia. That's what I grew up with. In Malawi, though, where we live, they also have deadly snakes. They have a puff adder, very bad. They also have the black mamba, which is very deadly. I tell people look, not every snake in Africa is going to kill you, but the odds are by no means in your favor. So when they told me my son had been bit by a snake, I'm just feeling sick. I'm flying down in the car. But it was so nice to go busting through the front doors of our ABC clinic. And there's our nurses standing around my son. He was sitting in his teacher's lap. They'd already put a tourniquet on his leg. We have a, a missionary doctor from North Carolina. He came running in right after me. He looked Vandel over. He says, well, he looks fine. He said, you're very fortunate. It's either a non poisonous snake, or it could be a dry bite. The snakes don't always release their venom. But either way, God blessed us and looked out for our son. But it was so nice that within minutes of this happening, we were able to have our hospital right there on our site to take care of our son. So then, after everyone had calmed down, after about 50, we said, Vandell, what happened? How'd you get bit by a snake? He said, Well, I dropped him off at the gate. He's walking to his classroom. He sees the snake lying in the grass. And he said, Dad, I thought it was asleep, so I tapped it with my foot. Uh, Obviously not a wise decision. Bam, the snake bit onto his leg. He was in shock. He actually wandered into his classroom and sat down while the teacher took roll. And when she was done, one of his friends said, "Uh, Mrs. Hellemeyer, Vandell just got bit by a snake. So uh, it shook him up quite a bit. But all of that to say... Thank you for what your church did. And let me just tell you, in case you don't know, Don, um, um, Charlie Duggan was the one that actually got us our whole x-ray lab. He found one here in Macon, flew it to Africa. He flew with the equipment, had it installed. Uh, Don Blackburn's company gave us the lighting for the whole Mission Hospital. Kevin Bridges, his paint company. It's a big place, 25,000 square feet. He gave us a dozen 50-gallon drums of paint to paint the whole hospital. Uh, Mrs. Giardio, that many of you know when her husband passed away, gave us his whole surgical suite. Uh, Mrs. Barnes, you all know Nancy Barnes, she used to be in the Amway business, gave us enough cleaning supplies to last for two years when we first opened the hospital. And then Dr. Lucas, uh, in memory of his wife, had the missions committee build a ward for us, a Dot Lucas ward, where two of our children, my wife, has delivered two babies in macon's dot lucas ward so we're so grateful for that along with the other things that you've done you've built gymnasiums for our college students on all three of our campuses uh, jim lawhon whose son attends here uh, he put together our radio station and that's when don and janet flew over when we were having the dedication of our african bible college abc radio station in le Longway. but the the nicest gift and you've done a lot but this last year your church gave um 25, Laura, 26 computers. My wife teaches freshman keyboarding. When our students come to African Bible College, very few, maybe out of a class we have 85, 86 in our freshman class, Laura said maybe three or four of them have been behind a computer, used a computer before, so she's starting from scratch. But for 19 years, she's been teaching typing on old brother's typewriters, which they're like in uh, antique museums here in the states and so just in August is able to put up your brand new computer lab beautiful big monitors our students couldn't be prouder it has made her job so much easier so thank you for all of that and I did want to read a verse for you out of Philippians 1 as we begin this is a great verse where Paul is thanking that church for all that they've done for him and this is what Paul says he says I thank my God in all my remembrances Of you, always offering prayers of joy every time I pray for you. In view of, and this is a key word, he says, in view of your participation in the gospel from the very beginning until now. And that's exactly how we feel about all of you here at First Presbyterian Church. Well, this morning, you can start turning to Acts chapter 17. I'll be reading a passage out of Acts, but the title of the message is The Transforming Power of Mission. The power that missions has to transform the world, to transform the church as it participates in missions, and then how the different methods and modes of mission need to be in transformation itself. The transforming power of mission. It was a few years ago, my twin brother Palmer, who some of you heard preach here a year ago, he and I were taking our basketball team to go play a team called BWI. It was a small college in a town called Banga. And Banga is an area that's known for witchcraft and we knew that it had that reputation but never really associated that with playing a, a basketball game against a team at the college there called BWI. So we took our African Bible College students there in the van, they unloaded, they're warming up, and the crowd started to fill around the basketball court, all the students from BWI and people from the town of Banga, and just as a referee is about to start the basketball game, the two teams are there in the middle, one of the spectators walks out on the court, he raises his hand, he stops everyone, he, and he yells to the crowd. He says, today is not a basketball game of ABC versus BWI. He said, today this is Jesus versus Juju. He said, and today we will find out who is more powerful, Jesus or Juju. And so thank goodness our basketball team, we've never had a challenge like that before we, before we play a sporting event Thank goodness our basketball team won the game, and Jesus was victorious over Juju that day. But the point is, is that the confrontations, the oppositions to proclaiming Christ, to preaching the gospel, those oppositions are very real. And whether it's in Africa, whether it's spiritism and animism in Africa, or whether it's secularism and materialism here in America, the opposition is a very real thing. And in Africa... This is a ground that Satan does not want to give up. He's not going to let it go without a fight. And so this morning I wanted to talk about how missions can be transforming as we proclaim the gospel. It transforms the world around us and how it changes the church as we participate in it, and then how missions should be in transformation itself as we discover more relevant ways, more effective ways to proclaim Christ. And as we talk about missions, people sometimes are confused about what missions is, and we talk about proclaiming the gospel. Well, missions is the active proclamation of the gospel in both word and deed. But this story that I wanted to read you, this passage, it's the first seven verses out of Acts chapter 17, is a great story. Paul and Silas had just been in jail in Philippi. And if you remember, there was a big earthquake. They stayed in their prison cells, and then they were able to lead the Philippian jailer and his family to the Lord. And then they moved on to Thessalonica, was the next town that they went to. And and one of the men there named Jason was keeping them in his house. But things weren't going well in Thessalonica either. It was a rough spot as well, and that's the story we're about to read. But before we open God's Word, let's bow our heads in prayer. Dear Lord, we do want to ask your blessing on the reading of your Word, your inerrant, infallible, inspired Word of God. We thank you, Lord, that it is powerful to change lives, that it convicts us of sin. We pray, Lord, that your Spirit will work in our heart, that you will Illumine our hearts that you will open our eyes to understand your word clearly. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's begin reading at verse 2 in chapter 17. And according to Paul's custom, he went to them, and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and giving evidence that Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead, and saying, This Jesus who I am proclaiming to you, he is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, along with a great multitude of the, of the God-fearing Greeks and a number of the leading women. But the Jews, becoming jealous and taking along some wicked men from the marketplace, formed a mob, and they set the city in an uproar. And coming upon the house of Jason, they were seeking to bring Paul and Silas out to the people. And when they did not find Paul and Silas there, they began dragging Jason and some of his friends and brethren before the city authorities, shouting, These are the men who have turned the world upside down, and now they have come here also. And Jason has welcomed them, and they all act contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, the one they call Jesus. What a wonderful passage of Scripture. These are the men who are turning the world upside down. When you think about what you would like on your tombstone, I can't think of something that would be better. I don't know if any of us here will have that inscribed as an epitaph for us. But a great story of Paul and Silas simply preaching the gospel. They weren't preaching some kind of harsh condemnation of the people. They weren't preaching any kind of political or some kind of politics that would create an uprising. But in other words, they weren't preaching anything that really should have upset anyone. But the gospel itself can be inflammatory. When you preach the truth, when you preach the gospel, things do happen. Let's read again verses 2 and 3. And as was Paul's custom, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and giving evidence that Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead, saying, This Jesus who I'm proclaiming to you, he's the Christ. And you would think, why in the world would people drag Jason and his friends through the market and try to stone them and create a mob because of of that? But the gospel was transforming that community. And I think a lot of times we think, well, our job as a church is to be somewhat separate from the world. Our job is to be a little bit isolated, and sometimes we treat the church as a type of fortress. But as you read about Paul all through Acts and all through the New Testament— Every time Paul preached, it had a revolutionary impact on the world. The church should be changing the world as it engages with the world. Let me read you something that the missiologist from South Africa, his name is David Bosch, this is what he writes. He says, The church's missionary involvement must include more than just calling individuals into the church. The church is not intended to act as a waiting room for the hereafter. The church's purpose is to engage and influence and change the world. So as we proclaim Christ, as we get involved in missions, it should have a transforming effect on the world that we're impacting. When my family first moved to Africa when I was a kid, it was in 1970. I was six years old, and I had a, my parents took five of their seven children with them to Africa, and I was there with my identical twin brother. It was a strange place to be raised as an identical twin. There are some places in Africa where they absolutely love twins. If you go to the country right next door to Ivory Coast, Côte d'Ivoire, and you go to the capital city of Abidjan, on almost every street corner downtown, you'll find a mother with her twins, your little babies, on a blanket on the street corner, and people give the mother money. It's a good thing. People are happy, and good things happen to you if you give money to the mother of twins. But it wasn't like that in Liberia. We went down to a tribe called the Sapo people down in southern Liberia in the Sapo rainforest. They were very superstitious about twins. In fact, to be a twin was to be a curse. They said, only dogs and goats must have more than one baby. So, if a woman had multiple births, then somebody had witched the mother. Somebody had put Sumu behind the mother for those things to happen. And so, when the twins were born, they would look to see which one was healthy. Then they would take the skinnier of the two, the runt, which would have been me, and they go out behind the house and they go in the bush and they find an anthill and they leave it on the driver ant anthill and the ants eat the baby that night. And so, they only keep one when they're twins. And so when we were kids and my father would walk out into the village almost every Sunday, we would go to different villages for my father to preach, people thought it was very strange that my mother had kept these two twins, and they thought it was even stranger because my mother, until we were in seventh grade, dressed us exactly alike, which is a whole other psychological issue we'll talk about later. But we'd go into the village. Here's these two identical twins. Most people had never seen them because they were killing off one of the twins. So they thought it was funny. They would laugh. They would yell at us, yomplu, yomplu, which means ghost or spirit when they would see us. But little by little, the culture around our mission began to change. And people, because Mother Chin Chin had kept her twins... They began to keep theirs. And they would bring the twin babies to my parents. And if it was a boy and a girl, they would say, Look, it's Jack and Nell. And if they were identical twins, they would say, We've named them Paul and Palmer. And even sometimes if it was girls, they were still named Paul and Palmer. But very proud that they were keeping their twins. And so my parents being and working among those people was having a transforming effect on them. So as we engage the world with the gospel... We should be changing, we should be influencing, the world should be transforming around us. And where we work at African Bible College in Malawi, we have seen this over the past 20 years. We have not just the college, but also the Mission Hospital I mentioned, the ABC Christian Academy. We have a Christian radio station that reaches all the people in the central region, almost 3 million people in the central region. We also have our students have to be involved in some kind of outreach, so every week we have... 200 students going out into the community and we also have our faculty at the college preaching in churches all over the city our faculty our students our graduates one of our staff members jay Stoms, did a survey of the churches in the capital city and he said 25 percent of the churches in the capital city of malawi every sunday have an abc professor student or a graduate preaching at them And so there's a tremendous respect and appreciation for Christianity, for ABC, because of the transforming impact that that mission has had in that one city over the past 20 years. But it's even nicer when someone who's not involved in mission work, who maybe isn't even a Christian, appreciates what you are doing. Laura and I were at the U.S. Ambassador's House. This was about a month ago. They were having a program at his house, and there are a lot of big uh, government officials and dignitaries there, but his name is Peter Bodie, and he pulled me aside. He said, Paul, I need to talk to you. He said, I just received the most amazing report. And Peter Bodie, as far as I know, is not a Christian. I've met with him a couple of different times, but he was very excited. He said, Paul, he said, they brought me a report of who is in mass communication here in Malawi. He said, in every country where we have a presence as a U.S. embassy, we like to find out who's influencing the masses. So we look at where are these people being trained that are on TV, that are on radio, that are in newspaper print. And he said, and so we want to see what their background is. Are they radicals? Are they Islamic? Are they communists? Are they socialistic? He said, and as I'm looking through the resume of all of these people on radio and TV in Malawi, he said, I'm thinking every one of these guys was trained by African Bible College. He was excited, and it was nice to hear here ABC is having a transforming effect on that whole country. So that's how our missions effort should be, turning the world upside down as we engage with it. But the second transforming effect of missions is on ourselves, as a church, as we participate in missions, as an individual, as we get involved in missions, our lives and the way our church operates should be transformed as well. I think in the past, so often, missions has almost been treated like a type of trap door where We in America or we in the West, we send missionaries overseas, but then, bam, that trap door closes. And we send good theology overseas, and boom, the trap door shuts. Nothing comes back. We send resources and money, but the trap door is closed, whereas missions was never intended to operate like that. Missions is interactive. It's a two-way process. As we get involved in missions, it should be changing our church and changing us as individuals. There's a good friend of mine who's a lawyer out in Irvine, California, and he came to visit African Bible College. And while he was there, he went with some of our graduates. A number of our ABC graduates are involved in orphan ministry. They've started their own orphan ministry, and many visitors like to go see what they're doing. So he went out into the village. And he spent some time with him. And so he came back to the States, and about a year later, I'm in California, so I went by to see Rick Feld, and I went to this big, fancy office in Irvine. This is in Orange County, California. He's one of the senior partners. And so I'm walking down the hallway towards his office, and I notice along the wall there are these big, blown-up, he had turned them into black-and-white pictures, matted and framed pictures of him in the village, with our graduates, with these orphans in Malawi. So I walked into his office, and he had enough money, he could have hung Monet's on the wall all the way down the hallway, but he has pictures of him in the village uh, in Malawi. And I said, man, Rick, I said, thank you for putting those pictures up uh, in your office. There were some in his office, some in the hallway, and he said,